Turn your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4, we're going to use that as our text verse. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture this morning. You may want to get out a piece of paper and a pen and be ready to write some of it down. Uh, I don't know that we'll have time to turn to it all. Uh, But Ephesians chapter 4 is a great chapter for the believer. Uh, It's a challenging chapter. It starts with the exhortation that we will see here that we are to walk worthy. I've always been challenged by those words, walk worthy. Considering what it is and who it is that we are to walk worthy of, that is a pretty high standard. To think about striving to walk worthy of our Lord and Savior, one who forgave us of all of our sin and cleansed us and imputed unto us righteousness. What a challenge for us to walk worthy and what does all of that mean? How, how is it that we're able to walk worthy for our Lord? We consider the grace that he's bestowed on us in the context of this passage of scripture. It's talking about the grace uh, that is revealed or given in the form of a gift that God has given us a gift. And each one of us have a gift bestowed upon us that we're to use for the furtherance of Jesus Christ, the, the church, and uh, to lift up the Lord. One aspect of walking worthy is we're to endeavor to do something. I want you to see it in the text here this morning. If you're in Ephesians chapter 4, say amen. Amen. All right, we're going to begin reading verse number 1. I'm going to read down through verse number 7, but watch for those two things that I've already mentioned. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation whereon ye are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. <clears throat> he says here, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. That grace bestowed on us. He says here that we are to endeavor to do something. Endeavor to keep the unity. I have... To my knowledge, as far as I can recall, never preached an entire message on this topic of unity. Uh, And really, I should have. This is very important to the church. This is very important to the Christian, to our walk with God. The unity that God expects. I've dealt with it and touched on it and hit here and there on it with with other messages that I have had the privilege of preaching, but this morning I want to preach on unity, a worthy endeavor. Unity, a worthy endeavor. We are challenged here to walk worthy, and one aspect of that is listed or given to us here is that we might endeavor to keep the unity 
the word endeavor, or if we are as Christians endeavoring, or even as individuals endeavoring to do something, I believe it's more than just giving it the good old college try. You know, if, if, if all else fails, kick it. Maybe it'll start, right? You know, just, just try something. Just uh, the good old college try. I think endeavoring goes beyond that. It is a striving for. It is a working towards. Uh, in fact, Strong's, in description of this word, literally says that it is to make an earnest effort. It is to labor to study. The idea here is that we are to make all effort possible to keep the unity in the body of Jesus Christ. It's something that we're to work towards. It's not something that we're supposed to say, oh, well, I just don't get along with that guy, so he's going to stay on that side of the auditorium, and I'm going to stay on this side. Some of you husbands and wives, I've noticed, been sitting, uh, no, just kidding. Um, you know, endeavor, no, we're supposed to endeavor. We're supposed to work to keep the unity. It's something that's supposed to be important to us, something that we don't uh, just flippantly disregard, but that we strive to keep the unity in the body. So the first time... I'm going to deal with this in its entirety. Unity, a worthwhile endeavor. We see here, first of all, the plea for unity. He says, I beseech you, I beseech you, I beseech you, he says, that you walk worthy. In description of this, he tells us it's a worthy endeavor. Beloved, the civil war that struck our nation is one of the most uh, horrific things that happened here on American soil. It's something in our history that's there, but certainly something that we should be ashamed of. Not what it was fought for, because the battle for the freedom of men should definitely have been fought. It is not right that any man should own another man. The Bible is very clear on that. That is God's plan, and that is something worth fighting for, for sure. But the fact that in this country, one brother would stand up across the field on fields like in Gettysburg that not too far from here, and they would point a gun at each other and, and shoot to kill each other. That unity that was gone destroys a nation and destroys a church. When brother stands against brother. And beloved, we are brothers in Christ and men should not square off against each other. There should be in the church a unity. There feels like there's a heaviness in the church right now. I think maybe some of you think I'm trying to nail Brother Hunt to the wall. I, I'm not. It's Bob Gamble that I'm getting this morning. <laughs> Now I know why you guys don't sit down front. You're like, I ain't sitting down there. He picks on those people. <laughs> They're not going down front. Now, listen, I want you to know there's no problem in the church that I'm aware of. I could not be more happy with the spirit that's in God's church. I couldn't be more pleased with God's people and the church family. But this is, this is to guard against that. You know how much Satan would love to get in and create discord and sow a problem in the church? He would just thrive on that. And he can take any small thing and, and, 
and, and get it. You know how the smallest little thing in your shoe just starts to hurt? We did some hiking over the last couple of days. So if I'm walking funny, it's because I'm out of shape. And, and uh, we were hiking and I got this little, just like it wasn't even a rock. It was like a little piece of wood that fell off of a tree into my shoe and worked its way to the bottom. And I'm like, man, that thing is. And when I opened my shoe, I couldn't even see it. It was, it was so small. I dumped my shoe out and I'm like, well, I hope I got it. The smallest little thing, Satan can stick that in there and just start to rub. And, and pretty soon, you know, hey. We want to guard against it. Amen? Amen. There's a plea that he has for unity. This is something that is important. And he, he calls to us as Christians to strive to have unity. Paul's desire is for, for the church to have unity. It's something that must be worked for in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. In that passage of scripture that we know uh, on the six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. We know, beloved, the first one's what? A proud look. Come on, guys, a proud look. Yeah, the first one's a proud look. That I know I put you on the spot. You're like, That's, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Well, it does in a little bit because only by pride, What? cometh contention. So it does a little bit. We're going to tie back into that here in a little while with regards to humility, and that's how peace is kept. But that's later in the message. First of all, right here, I want you to know that, that the last one, that six things does Lord hate, a seven are abomination unto him. The last one, he says, he that soweth discord among the brethren. He that soweth discord among the brethren. Can I caution you this morning? God hates that. God hates that. God doesn't want us to be busybodies. God doesn't want us to be going over here and over there and, and, and spreading any kind of uh, ill will or, or bad news or, uh, you know, falsehoods. God doesn't want it. God hates it. Amen. And, it, it, and it, it sows discord. It causes problems in the church. Oh, did you hear what pastor said about so-and-so? You know, here's what Satan will do. Satan will take something that I said this morning in joke about Bob Gamble and how Bob Gamble was causing problems in the church and I'm trying to nail him to the wall. That was all said in jest. Everybody here knows it. But what Satan will do, he'll take somebody here that heard that and then they'll go and tell somebody that wasn't here today, Pastor said Bob Gamble was causing all kinds of problems in the church. That's, that's not, not true at all. That's not what I was a joke, right? But that's how Satan takes things and twists them. We got to be so cautious and careful to guard against this. This is uh, the plea. He's begging. He's saying, listen, please don't be a part of that. Please do all that you can. Nothing is more grievous to the spirit of God. Nothing is more detrimental to the cause of Christ. Nothing is more disturbing to the spirit of the saints than discord among the brethren. Oh, it's so hurtful. This place that we talked about in Sunday school, that the house of God should be a refuge. It ought to be a place of peace. It ought to be a place that we come to to get away from the turmoil. A place that we can rest and, and come and just be refreshed and strengthened. And oh, but when Satan gets in and discord begins to start, no longer is the church a place of refuge. It's a battle in your spirit every time just to come to God's house. And we don't want that. 
You don't want that. So we've got to guard against it. Kick old Satan out. Don't be a part of spreading any discord or being a part of any gossiping between one person or another. Let's keep the spirit sweet. Let's keep the atmosphere right. Let's keep it a refuge. Amen? Amen. That's what we want as a church. I'm so glad this morning that I can preach this from the standpoint of we're going to keep it right instead of trying to clean house today. Amen? I'm thrilled that we can talk about it and say we don't have the problem, but we've got to stop it. We've got to guard against it. We've got to protect or Satan surely would strive to get us the problem. Jesus prayed for unity in John 17, verses 20 through 22. He said, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one. Listen to how he describes the unity that we're supposed to have in the church here. He says that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. He says, hey, the impact of the church functioning as one is the world believes. The world sees that unity, and it is a unity that's described here that's beyond just a camaraderie, that's beyond just I know them. It's a unity as the Father and the Son are one. We are one in them. It goes beyond, beloved, just a unison. Unison is an outward agreement. You try and be in unison to accomplish something. It goes beyond a union. A union is simply an allegiance or a merger. Uh, you know, a, those that are in union, sometimes they can agree to disagree. But the church house shouldn't have a bunch of people in it that agree to disagree. The church house should have people that are in it. We got one faith, one God, one spirit, one word. Hey, and we ought to be one with Christ. And that brings the unity that we have in God's house. It's a oneness that's found in Jesus Christ and in him alone. God desires unity. Turn your Bibles to Psalms 133. Psalms 133. We're not going to turn to all of them, but I want you to see this. Psalms 133, God desires that we have unity. It's a plea for unity. He says in Psalms 133, verses 1 through 3, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the ear, the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirt of his garments, as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. He describes the unity in God's house as something that's pleasant, something that's precious, something that is valuable, like this precious ointment. Oil was valuable. This precious ointment that they anointed Aaron's head with was precious oil. It was set apart for the anointing of this man of God, this by God's will and design to be used for this. He describes it as dew. There in the promised land, that dew was the source of life. That dew brought the moisture that brought forth growth and 
endowed the ground with the moisture with that, that, that was needed, that fruit might be, come forth. That's how he de- describes it. There's a plea for unity. Sec- secondly, I want you to see the possibility of unity. He tells us here, endeavoring to keep the unity. You know, God wouldn't tell us to do something if it wasn't possible. It's something that we are to endeavor to. Yes, it's going to take some work. That's the word is by definition. The word endeavoring means it's going to take some effort. We did some hiking and it took some effort to get up the hill. You know, you had to decide, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get up there. It's going to take some endeavoring. It's beyond just a casual stroll. We were hiking over boulders and through the woods and some places crawling and, and it, was, it was some hiking. You had to endeavor. You had to put forth some effort. Well, Christian's going to take some work, but we ought to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. It's possible. We see in verse number two, we back up just one verse. He says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. I think that verse right there kind of <laughs> describes endeavoring. That kind of lays it out for us. The, the effort that we're supposed to have that we might have the unity. It takes lowliness of mind to esteem others better than ourselves. It takes lowliness of mind to be willing to suffer long, to forbear, and to truly love one another. Don't turn there. I'm just going to read you a few verses in in Romans chapter 14, verses 19 through 23. This is the end of the chapter. And you've got to roll over into chapter 15 to kind of see exactly what the implications are. But let me tell you, he says, let us therefore follow after things which make for peace. That's what we should be doing. We should be following after things that make for peace. You know, siblings, <laughs> we just spent a bunch of time in the car. Brother Zach used to respect Pastor Bottrell's family, but after three days on vacation with him... <laughs> Um, you know, they know what pushes each other's buttons. The siblings, right? They, they, they know what's going to aggravate one of their uh, brothers or sisters. But this following after peace is means that you don't do those things. Why would you do that? You know it's going to aggravate them. And they're like, that's why I did it. Because <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> We're not supposed to do those things. We're supposed to be following after peace. Let us therefore follow after those things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. And he describes here the situation, he says, for meat to destroy, not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine, nor either, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or maketh weak. He's describing here that, listen, you might have liberty to eat this meat, 
But if it's going to offend a brother or if it's going to cause a problem or it's going to create division, you say, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I, I, I don't want to offend a brother. I don't want to cause a problem. I don't want to create any division. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that commendeth not himself in the thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. But listen, we're going to roll right over into chapter 15 now in verses 1 through 3. And I want you to see in the context of what he's talking about there. Listen, there's some things that you might have liberty to do, but you don't want to do because it's going to hurt or offend a brother. Because we're supposed to follow after peace. And then listen to the first couple of verses of Romans 15. He says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. Christ standing as the example of not pleasing himself, but striving to please, to please others. Boy, if we had that spirit, it would, it would help, wouldn't it? Yeah. Let each esteem others better than themselves. Not striving to please our own selves or you know, make, make our own way, but to please others. Ultimately, to please and honor God. I want you to know it is possible in the, in the church here. The church in, in the New Testament was made up of a very diverse group of people. There, there was Jews and Gentiles. I mean, you remember even the story of the Good Samaritan? You see, there was, there was recognized conflict between the Samaritans and the Jews. It was very unlikely that a Samaritan would stop and help a Jew. But he did. And we set that up as an example and understand that's how we should live. But in God's house, that's made up of many diverse kinds of people, why is it we would allow division to come and create a problem in the church? Beloved, culture shouldn't matter. And I'm not saying that you come from, we've got people here from many different countries. And, and that's an exciting part of Hunt Valley Baptist Church. I love the various cultures that we have. And uh, we're a very multicultural church. And that's, that's a thrill. And we praise God for it. Listen, that's the way it's going to be in heaven. Amen. We're all going to be together in heaven. We ought to be able to get along here. But you know, our, our, today a lot of places, a lot of churches, and I'm using that word a little loosely but a lot of churches are being divided because of culture, American culture. Culture shouldn't be the priority. Christ should be the priority. We are one in Christ because what is most important? He's most important. And we're here worshiping him. And that's where we find our unity with one another because we're in Christ. Listen, class doesn't matter. You may be here and you may be worth $5 million. Praise God. We're thrilled that God blessed you. 
but you are no more important than Zach. You say, what? I don't like that. Only by pride cometh contention. Well, in, in God's eyes, your bank account don't matter a hill of beans. Class doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you're at in society, whether you would be considered in this, you know, American society as somebody that's just getting by or you can't even make the ends meet. You're trying to make ends meet and you just can't do it. Or whether you've got money to spare in God's house. Hey, we're all the same at the foot of the cross. The book of James tells us to be really careful to not be giving preferential treatment to somebody who wears nice big rings and, you know, the, the, the description of there, James, of somebody that might be a little more wealthy. And you say, oh, sit here in the place of honor. Listen, we're all, we're all the same at the foot of the cross. And I praise God that God has blessed some of you and you have means and capacity to be able to further the cause of Christ with what God's given you and, and praise the Lord for that. Use it for his honor and glory. Do what God wants you to do with it. If you're here and, and you would be considered lowly, we want you to know you're loved and respected just like anybody else. Your opinion matters. We, we can't let class be the dividing, dividing thing in the church. Like, oh, they're not as important. I don't have time for them. No, we, as a church, we ought to make a point to minister to people that in our mind aren't as gifted or as, a, as a blessed as we are. God is, hey, listen, except for the grace of God, any one of us could be where that individual is, whoever it is. Whatever the situation is. You know, Harry has gone home to be with the Lord. We love bringing Harry to church. Those of you that have been around, you know, he loved being here. Harry didn't have anything that he could add to Hunt Valley Baptist Church. As far as financially, he, you know, he was living on subsistence and had to get a ride to church every service. But he wanted to be here. And as a church, I feel it's our responsibility to minister to him. To love him. We can't let class be a source of division. I want you to know that the possibility of, of unity is there because we're unified around Jesus Christ. And he is what's most important. But lastly this morning, I want you to see the power of unity. The power. The early church. Why don't you turn to the book of Acts. We're going to look at several things in the book of Acts. I don't know that you'll have time to be turned to all of these references, but the early church had something that, you know, we serve the same God the early church had. Amen? There's only one, one God, and, and we serve him, creator of heaven and earth. God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, was buried and rose again. Let me just throw this out. At first thing you need to do is be sure you have, you have unity with the Father. That's through his son, Jesus Christ. But then we need to keep unity with each other in the power that brings. We see that in the early church. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 14, he says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and in supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Look in chapter 2 and verse number 1. 
And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were, what's the next four words? All right, look at chapter 2 and verse number 46. Chapter 2 and verse 46. And they continued daily, what's the next three words? With one accord. And you can go to the end of that verse. It says, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. The idea of being unified. And look to Acts chapter 4 and verse number 24. Acts 4, 24. When they heard that they lifted up their voices to God. What's the next three words? In Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse number 12. And being the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. They were all with one accord. And we could go on, but the church had unity. The early church was in one accord. They were passionately pursuing the same goal. And it is amazing what can be accomplished when as a group we are passionately pursuing the same goal. You know, I was giving Brother Zadarsky a, uh, a tour of the building yesterday walking through and just showing him things. And I know many of you have come to the church since we moved into this building. So as you see it is how you know it. But I was trying to describe to him the changes that were made and what we did. And somewhere in the conversation, I said, and this, you know, we, we bought the property and we did, you know, most of this renovation in six weeks. And he's like, six, in six weeks? You did all that in six weeks? I said, yeah, it was six weeks. And I can't think of a more fitting example of what can be accomplished when God's people gather together in one accord. Uh, it is unbelievable. And I, I know that the magnitude of that, and I don't have time this morning to try and to describe for all of you what was done in six weeks. But what can be accomplished when people are in one accord, when they're passionately pursuing the same goal, is mind-boggling. It is amazing. I mean, it's just beyond comprehension. We were, we were tackling things during that time, and in my mind, I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Look at how many irons we have in the fire. Look at how many holes we have in the ground. I mean, look at how much stuff is apart. And we're supposed to be having service in here in 14 days. We're supposed to be having church here, grand opening Sunday in seven days. And, I mean, there was so much work to do. It was unbelievable. But it got done. On grand opening Sunday, we had over 500 people here. Because God's people were functioning in one accord passionately pursuing the same goal. The power of unity. You know, tragedy can bring unity. But you don't have to go through tragedy to get there. You can have the unity without that. On our couple days away this week, we went to New York City and we got to go see the memorial to the Twin Towers. And you, you, you look at that and you just think about how as a nation, for a segment of time, and you remember the call to prayer that went across the nation. You remember the spirit of, of patriotism that just went across the nation. 
how, how that drew the country to stand together against these that would attack America. Tragedy brings you to a place of unity, but beloved, we do not want to have to go through tragedy to get unified. We want to get unified around Jesus Christ because it is a command and there's a call for us to do so. What happens is tragedy is we set aside our petty differences. All of a sudden, there's little things that we were holding on to that are creating all this problem between us and somebody else. We say, you know what, that just really doesn't matter at all and we want to let it go. And we give our energies to accomplishing something higher than ourselves. You remember when Peter and John were thrown into prison? We read that passage of scripture there in, in Acts chapter 4. They were thrown into prison. He says, and when they had heard that, when the church heard that Peter and John were thrown into prison, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. They, be, they prayed together. They, they were called together. They said, man, they're in prison. We need to do something. They got together in one accord and prayed. There's power in unity. And beloved, it's not about how many are present. It's about those present being in one accord. You know, the, there was 120 in the upper room praying together. But there's not something magical about 120 people. It's that they were all in one accord. The Bible is very clear on that. In Matthew 18, 19, and 20, it says, Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. You see, it's not about how many are there. It's about those that are there are together in unity. I want to encourage you, church, to guard against, don't let Satan get in. Don't let Satan cause a problem. Put a hedge. Put a watch before your mouth and before your ears. Just guard you. Ask God to protect Hunt Valley Baptist Church. Just as the dew was the vehicle that brought fruitfulness to the promised land, so unity is the vehicle that brings power to the church. We see in the book of Acts that multitudes of souls, the 3,000 souls saved and 5,000 souls saved and multitudes of souls saved. The church sees that when the church is in unity, passionately pursuing the one objective. Beloved, we may differ about many things, but we're one in Christ. We have one grace, one faith, one heart, and one purpose. So let us walk together as one.